harder for Gonzaga fans to even keep up with all of the Zags who are playing in the NBA these days. Uh, joining me today to at least cover a few of the newest Zag alumni is Mark Schindler right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. I'm also thrilled to be joined today by Mark Schindler. Mark, normally this is the time where I would list somebody's like credentials and where they work, but it's a 30-minute podcast and it feels like I'm not sure if we got enough time <laughs> uh, looking at the bio and seeing all of the, all of the um, bylines that you have. Uh, obviously, tons of different writing credentials. Super excited that you took the time. I know you're one of the hardest working people out there uh, to come on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate that, man. I uh, I'm psyched to talk Zags, man. I I've I've, I've been as as I'm willing to do. I'm thinking about like the most random basketball things possible lately, and um, <laughs> I'm very excited to watch Efton Reed next year. He's like mm-hmm. not really a traditional Gonzaga big man, so I'm excited yeah. to see how that plays out. Um, I just can't wait to watch this team play basketball. <laughs> I love I love the, the way that Mark Few runs things, so I'm I'm excited for that. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on, man. Of course, man. Yeah, it's gonna be it's it's gonna be so fun. It's always fun to see how players acclimate to to few system and definitely. and reed is definitely i i just I, I was telling you right before we recorded i talked to jason jordan for sports illustrated uh, with recruiting and we were talking about dusty stromer one of the 2023 kids coming in mm-hmm. and like he's like this like frenetic pace like doesn't get sped up but loves to run and move and move and i'm like he's gonna be like could you imagine that kid going to virginia like he's gonna be so fun in a system where he gets to just get out and run and it's just uh, i would be a fan of any school that i went to uh, I, because I love basketball, but it's, I gotta be honest, it's fun to be able to watch this team in the way that they operate without a doubt. Uh, so we want to talk about some NBA guys though today. Uh, we're going to start with the name that has been just all over uh, Twitter the last, I was going to say a couple of days, but really years, uh, frankly, uh, it's just been more notable as summer league has kind of gotten started. That's of course, Chad Holmgren, who, as we're talking right now, uh, is in the middle of his second summer league game. Uh, he played his first summer league game, uh, on Tuesday and absolutely dominated 23 points on nine shots six blocks just an incredible performance for him it's summer league you got to take some of that a little bit with a grain of salt but i'm curious your thoughts on on really just his fit in oklahoma city for me seeing him with with josh giddy with shy gilgis alexander like it seems like it's going to be really a a lot of fun and i'm kind of would, would love to hear what you think about that fit yeah, I'm really excited for Chet just as an NBA prospect in general. Um, mm-hmm. I think I've I've had to uh, already get selective in how I respond to things on the timeline because, as you know, <laughs> from covering him for a year, it's just yeah. it's always going to be the the BS responses. But mm-hmm. um, no, I think seeing him actually get to play not that like again, I think another thing that has to be set straight like he was like he was optimized really well in Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. Obviously, mm-hmm. you would want to see him get used more as a role man. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to happen more in the NBA as we already saw yesterday. But like mm-hmm. this team was like the best team in school history just about last year. So <laughs> yeah. can we, there, there's a little bit of reductionist takes that need, need, need mm-hmm. to chill out. But um, as far as like just actual on court fit, I think what makes him so interesting, like I still uh, as many are, am, am not entirely sure what OKC views as their timeline. Um, yeah. It seems like they 
like, I mean, there's, it's one thing to be future leaning. It's another thing to be that far future leaning, yeah. <laughs> um, which makes it, you know, clunky, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, drafting somebody number two overall is going to make them a very high priority list priority yeah. player on your, on your development tier. Um, I think for him, a lot's just going to be how things develop with his handle and yeah. um, how he can develop attacking inside the arc. Like he has just ridiculous nutty touch, like some of the mm-hmm. best touch I've ever seen for a seven footer. Yeah. Um, and I think he's going to have a lot more opportunities to attack space uh, this year than he did last year. Not that he didn't have it last year, but it's going to be different this year for sure. The yeah. way that the game is played and spread out in the NBA. Um, like clearly somebody who I view is like, I mean, I, I do think the only person who really even comes close to rivaling him is, mm-hmm. is Jalen Duran for defensive upside in this class. But yeah. the floor that, that Chet brings already is, is kind of insane. Um, probably going to be a multi-time all defense guy. Mm-hmm. Um and honestly, just what what he brings as a complimentary player offensively with the uh, like, I, I think what's, I guess what I would say makes me most excited about him in OKC is while he is coming in right now, somebody who can complement star players uh, or mm-hmm. guys who are trying to become star players. I don't think it's out of the question that he, not that he wouldn't be one himself. Like I think he's that much of a positive defensively that he'll be a star in that role. But yeah, I do think that there's stuff there along with what he has as a passer already and mm-hmm. um, with how his scoring could continue to grow that he becomes an offensive star as well. Yeah. Um, so he's, I mean, he's just so exciting to me because of the multitudes of ways that he could develop as a prospect. It's funny. Cause I, I talked about him a handful of times on, on other podcasts before the draft happened and mm-hmm. kind of trying to get a sense of him. And it, it was hard for me because I, I do think he has star potential. Absolutely. Unquestionably. And I wanted to sell him as much as possible, but like, when you looked at the top three players in this draft class, you looked at Jabari Smith, you looked at Paolo Bancaro, like Chet was the safest. And I think in my mind, at least, and I think when you say that, it almost sounds like you think he has a lower upside. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't think that's true either. I, I think he's, he's going to be a role player at worst. And like, I also think that the term role player is often mischaracterized. Some of the best players in the NBA are role players. They just, you're either, if you're not an absolute superstar, most of the time you're a role player and that's not a bad thing. And I think Chet is going to be like a really, really good role player. And I think some people hear that and think, well, I'd rather draft the superstar. And it's like, well, he, he might be that too. But he's going to be a role player. His defense is going, and he doesn't need the ball to score. Like I, again, we're we're talking live right now in the middle of an OKC game, and and Kenneth Lofton is is playing incredible. And I, no disrespect to him, I love his game. I think he's really fun. But like Lofton has 14 points at halftime on 11 shots, and Chet has 11 points on four shots, and th- that's the kind of thing that that Chet can do like yeah he's getting pushed around a little bit and there's some concern about that and I, I anybody who pretends that that's not at least a little bit of an issue it is it's, it's going to be there he's going to get bumped around a bit he'll he'll fill out but like he's so efficient he doesn't need you know you don't need to give him 20 touches you don't need to give him the ball every single possession for him to have this tremendous impact and to me that's what like a really really good role player is yeah and I think like the, the biggest thing I'd hit on with that too what makes him exciting is that there is you can see areas where he can grow into being more of sure. a player who does have the ball in his hands. And I think mm-hmm. um, like that he can come in with that ability, like similar, obviously different players, but like in the same same way as Keegan Murray. Like part of the reason yeah. where I think people got too low on Keegan because he's not an on-ball creator, but also like mm-hmm. there is real inherent value to just like, OK, I can't tell you the amount of times I was watching a game this year mm-hmm. and I was like, ah. Oh, I feel like I haven't really seen Keegan do anything. And I look at the box where he has 12 and eight already. It's like, Oh, okay. He's, <laughs> yeah. he's doing things like, yeah. Um, there's inherent value to just being 
a steady presence like that, uh, yeah. that that can flow in and out of the offense without needing to touch the ball. So, um, yeah, I'm right there with you. He's just he's he's excited. I already love the pettiness he's brought out as well. Just like throwing <laughs> the laughing emojis right after his first summer league game. Yeah. Um, it's awesome. Yeah, he's got he's got an attitude to him, which is really fun. Um, yeah. I could probably talk just Chet Holmgren for the entire rest of the podcast, but I'm going to restrain. Uh, I want to move on to Gonzaga's other rookie uh, in the NBA. Uh, that's, of course, Andrew Nembhard, who was the first pick of the second round of the NBA draft by the Indiana Pacers. Frankly, not a team that I had really considered as a fit for Nembhard uh, personally. Yeah, I, I was I was pretty in on him going to like a, a contending team right away, potentially being a third point guard for like Memphis or Denver or Golden State or, or something like that. And he, he ends up at a team that's not that, <laughs> very much not that. And at, the, at first, the fit looked very confusing. It looks less confusing now with the Malcolm Brogdon trade uh, over to Boston. But uh, I, I'm curious kind of where you think he might fit in in Indiana and if this is a good fit for him or, or, or something that, that he's going to need to work on a little bit. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a little bit of both. Um, mm-hmm. I think in some ways, like he is kind of the type of player that Rick Carlisle tends, t- tends to like, mm-hmm. you know, just a steady presence um, mm-hmm. and somebody who you can trust to handle the ball. But I think for me, like I, I've, I've always gotten pushback on this. I always call Andrew a combo guard. He's obviously not a combo guard because he really mm-hmm. can't play off the ball right now. Mm-hmm. But like he's not a guy who's going to consistently bend a defense on his own without a ball screen. Um, yeah. He's a below the rim athlete. Like that doesn't inherently make you a combo guard, but like just, Considering there are a lot of barriers to him actually being a primary playmaker. Yeah. I think the idealized version of Andrew Nemhard is somebody like who can really extrapolate what we saw last year with him being at least a capable catch and shoot presence. Like I think yeah. there needs to be a lot more of that from him. Um, if he's gonna hit some of the higher outcomes, because I don't yeah. imagine that they took him at 31 just to be a backup. Right. Um, I'm sure that they want to view him as in whatever he can be. Um, but even without that, like I like Andrew a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's somebody who really um he shouldn't have needed to rise at the back end of the draft process. I, I imagine a lot of it was because people were going back and watching him again. But yeah, I mean, he just he had a hell of a year this year. As good mm-hmm. as Chet was, like I think some of that got dampened because of what his last game was yeah. as 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 a uh, as a bulldog. But yeah. you know, throughout, I mean, going back throughout, like he was that that Memphis game, he was mm-hmm. sensational. Oh my gosh, game. like it, exactly. I mean, that's what's so frustrating about the tournament. I think you can mm-hmm. like get so caught up in what the last game looks like compared to the three or four ahead of it. Yeah. And, and Andrew was just phenomenal in that game. Yeah. Um, what he brings automatically is a pick and roll playmaker and, and just mm-hmm. with his craft as a scorer, um, like, again, he's definitely going to have barriers as uh, more of a below the rim finisher, but he has real guile and, and mm-hmm. tempo that a lot of guys don't bring in this early um, to the NBA. So I think it'll be interesting because this team is like, they have Tyrese Halbert and Benedict Matherin. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, trending towards being much more of an up-tempo high-paced team and that is not andrew's game whatsoever Mm -hmm. um so i'll be interested to see if they really try and uh build out bench units around him where they maybe play a slower tempo slower pace um or maybe they try and speed up andrew but i don't really like to me if that's what you drafted him to do at 31 i don't i kind of question the selection there yeah um i don't really question the actual positioning of where he was drafted. Like, I think he was, was worthy of going back into the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, but it will be like, he, it was much more of a less, less a bad pick, more of a, I'm interested to see how this plays out type pick. 
Sure. I'm, I'm very curious with Nembhard too, because he, yeah, obviously the pick and roll threat is he's, he's tremendous coming out of the pick and roll. He makes excellent reads there. He breaks down defenses really well, but he he's a great mid range finisher too. And so we saw him take advantage of coming off screens and hitting that little 11, 12 footer very consistently until mm-hmm. the Arkansas game, which was very unfortunate. <laughs> he couldn't seem to yeah. find that shot because it was there. Um, but he's not, you know, like you said, he's an okay finisher around the rim. He's probably going to struggle with that more in the NBA. And then it's the outside shooting. And to me, that's the biggest question mark is like the, he was a good outside shooter last year. There's been some, some indications that he was a good, you know, could be a good outside shooter early in his career at Florida, but he's also been pretty darn inconsistent. And to me, like, I love Andrew and I think he has the skill set to be a longtime NBA player, but that in my mind, that needs to be there. It needs to be there. If he's not, mm-hmm. if he drops down to 31, 32 range, uh, I'm not sure he's going to stick around. Yeah. And I think he really has to be a pull-up shooter from three, two, if you're getting yeah. the most out of him with how much, like, I mean, most of his playmaking is, isn't coming out of doing secondary things. It's from actually yeah. running the offense. So I, I do think like he, he certainly has to have uh not just like the three, he has to have like a lot with the three. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, I'm also just considering like how good he was as a pull-up shooter from mid-range. And yeah, um, I'm just more bullish on guys like that actually developing it out. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how it happens because um, I mean, that team is definitely heading in, in a different direction than I'm accustomed mm-hmm. to seeing them do mm-hmm. in the last decade. So um, I'm interested to see how he fits in. All right, Mark, we're going to come back in the second segment. Uh, we're going to talk about some Zags who have already played uh, in the NBA. We're going to talk uh, about Jalen Suggs. We're going to talk about his rookie year. We're going to talk about the two Zags in D.C., Corey Kispert and Rui Hachimura. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about today's sponsor, Rock Auto. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it is now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why into your often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning, like is your Odyssey an LX or an EX, and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Plus, Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer, and they have everything you could need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpets. I just had my 13-year-old car serviced recently, and I can tell you that having one place to find all the parts I need made things infinitely easier. So go to rockauto.com now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in there, how did you hear about us box? So they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. All right, segment two. Still any patents, still locked on Zags, still here chatting with Mark Schindler. Uh, we're going to talk about Jalen Suggs now. Uh, Suggs had a bit of a tough go in his rookie season. I don't think there's uh, kind of any way to, to, to mince words around that. Uh, obviously, injuries played a significant part. He had a thumb thing that I think cost him like two months, maybe more. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was out for quite a while, but uh, frankly, he couldn't he couldn't figure out how to put the ball in the hoop. <laughs> I mean, that was there, there was not a whole lot else outside of the injury that was really wrong with Jalen Suggs this year. We saw the athleticism. We saw him throw down some thunderous dunks. The defense was fantastic. Uh, and the shot selection, I thought, for a 19-year-old rookie wasn't bad. In, in spots it was. But again, we're talking about a 19-year-old rookie. Uh, he just – the ball just wasn't going in the hoop. Uh, and I'm curious for how much you saw him last year and, and you know, maybe what you saw out of him in college – is that 
I mean, there was some concern coming into the draft that the that the shot wasn't going to be there. I think that was probably the worst case scenario that we saw last year. But is this something that that should be concerning going forward? Yeah, I think I I want to say that I'm concerned going forward. I think it's more of a like he. I mean, obviously he was he was put in a role that I don't think was was great for him. Mm-hmm. Off rip, like I mean, yeah, he played off Cole Anthony, but even then, like I felt uh, Jalen was quote unquote running more of the offense mm-hmm. or needed to 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 bend the defense more. And like as we saw at Gonzaga, like as good as he was at Gonzaga, like he's not the guy who you want consistently bending the defense. Even with you know what his profile was coming out. Like, no, like that's not who he's supposed to be. And I I think when he was at his best at Gonzaga, it was getting to A attack in the open court yeah. and be a transition athlete. And mm-hmm. then getting to play off of Drew Timmy and just play off of mm-hmm. all the other good players playing at Gonzaga. Like it's yeah. um I think his context really hurt him to a yeah. degree. Like in some ways, I think it'll be good for him. Like there was a stretch to um, a friend of mine who covers the magic actually wrote a really good piece about how, while Suggs was out with that hand injury, mm-hmm. he was working on, you know, his intermediate scoring craft and, and finishing more around the rim and trying to test out new things. And then when he came back, he had like a 10 or 12 game stretch where he really had, you know, found some clicking there yeah. that, that looked good that obviously, you know, went, went down as the season went on, but, I do think there were a lot of promising signs with him. Like, number one, like you mentioned, the defense was really, really good last year. I still think, like, um, as good as he is at the point of attack, there's some stuff I want to see him clean up off the ball, too. Like, he can be a little bit mm-hmm. over-aggressive. He can fall asleep sometimes mm-hmm. and ball watch. But, like, that's what happens when you're 19 years old. Like, I'm not really worried about that. Yeah. Um, overall, like, I just want to see him – play this this upcoming year because i think this team's going to be a lot more potent offensively Mm -hmm. um you know you're getting a lot more internal growth from guys theoretically you're going to have fultz uh all year round which i think helps a lot having him to kind of carry some of that load and and let jalen play off the ball more Mm -hmm. um obviously again like the shot is going to have to fall but i'm just not not all that worried about it absolutely yeah i I think with jalen too it's like the the athleticism was so prevalent at, at Gonzaga. And obviously, you know, one of the things that, that he had the ability to do was just go get a bucket when, yes. when the Zags needed it. And I would like to see him have some more of that aggression uh, in Orlando. And, and obviously the defense, I mean, like to me, he looks like a guy who has the potential to be like an all NBA caliber defensive player. He's not there yet. Obviously uh, most 19 year olds are not, that's very mm-hmm. exceedingly rare, but like again, kind of, kind of touching on that Chet Holmgren t- topic of like that makes your floor so high. Like his floor to me feels very high. He's going to have to shoot better than he shot last year. Like that. That. But even he doesn't have to be elite. He doesn't have to be an elite shooter for him to be a very, very good player. Now he's going to be disappointing to some fans if he's you know can't consistently knock down open shots. But to me, it just feels like the the defensive instincts he already has and the stuff that he's going to clean up is going to make him such a valuable player, even if you know, he maybe doesn't reach that very high offensive potential. Yeah, no, I, I'm I full agreement. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's what makes him an interesting player. Like even like, again, I do think like he's so shot dependent because if he's yeah. going to be doing secondary things, like yeah. if defenses are going to care, it's coming through the shot. Um, yeah. But ultimately, like you mentioned, like I think there's just a lot there that's already giving him a floor that, that makes you pretty encouraged about who he's going to yeah. be in the NBA. So one thing that's that's happened a couple of times in, in recent years for Gonzaga fans is this multiple 
multiple Zags being on the same team. And I think a lot of Gonzaga fans really like that because it's like they don't have to track as many teams. They don't have to read as yeah. many box scores, like all of that. But in some instances, it's not necessarily good because it's like for people who want to see all of the Zags succeed. Uh, and we're, we, we're not going to get into Brandon Clark and Killian Tilly in Memphis too much today because I'm not really sure how much I don't think Tilly would be playing 20 minutes a night if Brandon Clark wasn't there, for example. But mm. but it is an interesting dynamic in Washington. And again, there's there's weeks worth of content about what the heck is happening in Washington uh, because their playing time situation last year was very odd and strange. Yeah. Um, and I don't think Corey Kispert and Rui are necessarily the same position, but it seems like Washington just kind of collected a lot of guys vaguely like that and then didn't know what to do with them. Um, going forward, I don't know how long either of these two guys are even necessarily going to be in Washington, but I would love to hear kind of your, your thoughts on, on their development uh, and and maybe if, if Washington is a good place for them long-term. It's a good question, man. Uh, I think number one, like the biggest thing was for Rui last year. I was really excited for Rui last year. Um, and then we still don't really know for sure what happened, but yeah. he had some personal stuff come up. Mm -hmm. um, I hope everything's okay with him on his end, but obviously I ended up missing like first month and a half, two months of the season mm -hmm. um, and just kind of never really found a rhythm after that. Yeah. Like at, granted, like his shot was really good, but it, it was on low volume. Yeah. Um, I didn't really feel as though he made any strides last year, which again, really tough situation. That team had kind of gone to shit already by that yeah. point um, <laughs> for being blunt. Yeah. Um, like, I think that there's a lot to like with him in terms of just being uh, potentially a really quality scorer in, mm -hmm. in, in your front court with uh, hopefully defensive versatility. If he yeah. can improve there, I think that's been I mean, he made a, a OK leap from 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 you know, year two to three yeah. in that regard, but still is pretty below average and underwhelming yeah. uh, in, in terms of how he sees the court defensively. Um his passing is really like one of the things. So I actually, I made the mistake. I, I don't know if you're aware of this, uh, but like, I, I, I'm not trying to say this like I'm a celebrity, celebrity just cause I tweet about it all the time. But like <laughs> I, every time I write something, I ruin whatever I just wrote about. So like I oh, yeah. wrote about, <laughs> I wrote about how the Kings shouldn't trade Tyrese Halliburton and they traded him 45 minutes after it dropped. Um, <laughs> I wrote about how I was excited about the wizards for this year. Mm -hmm. Um, they got out to that really hot start, and then it just absolutely blew up. Yeah. Um, like, there's just um, – I could go on and on. But the yeah. point being, like, um, I wrote about why well, I was excited for Rui this year because I mm – -hmm. watching him uh, playing during uh, um, the World Cup this last mm -hmm. year with Japan, I, like, there was some really encouraging stuff with him growing as a passer. Um, yeah. Not, like, crazy, crazy levels, but, like – going from being like a complete negative passer to somebody who's like, okay, he's like seeing some things. You mm -hmm. can see him doing things on the short roll. Maybe there's some things as a driver and, and, and kicking to yeah. the, to the open corner, which that's just stuff that we haven't seen from him routinely before. So I was excited about that. Um, and again, I think just having that, that massive amount of time off really hurt him. Um, yeah. I still think that he's an interesting player moving forward, but I sure. just don't know what's going to happen in Washington at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, very hard to know. Yeah. Um, want to talk about Corey too. Obviously, uh, he had a, a unique rookie year. He, I mean, again, it was the playing time situation for him was was chaos. If you just look yes. at his box scores or his game logs, you're like, what happened? Like, what is going on? Like, and he earned it. I mean, he he played well when he got his opportunities, and then continued to stick in the rotation. Which shout out to him. It's still 
was confusing for a while. He was the starting shooting guard, which is not a position he really plays. I don't think like I didn't. I'm listed as like replacing Bradley Beal in the lineup, and I'm like, what? What is happening? Like, why is he? He's like six eight and like a beefy six eight. Like, why is he? I saw. I don't. I, I, I'm. We don't need to go all the way into Washington's coaching and decision making there. But we saw a kid who who started to really find his groove as the year went on and started really hitting outside shots consistently. Uh, again, I think somewhat similar to Rui, he's probably not going to be. Uh, you know, he's not going to be joining Jalen Suggs on those all defensive teams anytime soon. But uh, certainly a guy who who had probably a better rookie year than I thought he would, or at least met maybe exceeded expectations. Yeah, I think what's tough is especially like pulling that context lens is really important Um, because for me, if Corey had gone to a different team, like I think we look at it as a year a lot differently. Like, sure. um, Like you mentioned, just looking at his box score, me and a friend, a a friend of mine who Mm -hmm. like uh, we were both pretty high on Kispert coming to the draft, like not quite lottery, but more like we would at least understand if a team took him lottery, but we Mm -hmm. felt more like, okay, you know, I want to see a contending team or a team that's like close to being in the playoffs who really needs what this guy can bring. Yeah. Not that he doesn't have upside or potential or just like Mm -hmm. he clearly brought a skill set that made sense for a team trying to win right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And you could see that last year. Like if you just sort his box scores by minutes played, Mm-hmm. It's stark how different it is. Like, <laughs> yeah. and I think that totally makes sense. Like, this is a guy who started almost mm-hmm. all of his college games yeah. across four years. Yeah. Like, I, I wonder why he had a rhythm problem. Like, if you're mm-hmm. only playing, I think that's something that gets undersold a lot. Like, it's really hard to just, okay, you take this guy who's playing 32, 33 minutes per game in college, yeah. taking seven threes a game and say, okay, take two a game in this mm-hmm. nine minutes span that we give you. We, you we're, we're not sure what your role is going to be tomorrow night, but right. maybe it'll be different. Maybe it won't be like, that's really hard to adjust to. Yeah. I think Corey really struggled with that this year, but when he did actually get the opportunity to just mm-hmm. be a consistent volume shooter, like yeah. that was really good for him. Yeah. Um, and I, again, like you mentioned, I think some of the constraints of the roster were, were tough on him as well. Like this mm-hmm. team just had like no ball handling, especially after they traded Spencer Dinwiddie. There's just like, they ended up getting Ish Smith and he was pretty washed this year. And he looked yeah. awesome in Washington just because they had nobody else who could handle the ball. Like yeah. um, it was, it was rough going there, but I do mm-hmm. think like, especially with the moves that they made, like bringing in Monte Morris and Will Barton. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that yeah. benefits Corey a lot, just not having to handle the ball as much getting, you know, mm-hmm. uh, more opportunities to just be an off-ball player. It's hard to be an off-ball player when there are not ball handlers on the team. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I'm really excited about who he's going to be, though. Like, I, I do think there are some barriers to him being, like, more of a higher-level starter in the league for sure. Yeah. But, I mean, we already saw the things that make him a quality player. Like, he, he moves the ball decently. He moves mm-hmm. off the ball incredibly well. Yeah. He has movement in his shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a solid defender. He's like a, a, a solid, but not sexy defender. I think is the yeah. best way to put it. Like he knows yeah. where to be. He doesn't have great wingspan or, or he mm-hmm. actually got decent lateral quickness for his size. Pretty yeah. strong too. But like, yeah, it's just, you kind of know what you're getting from him. So yeah, absolutely. All right, Mark and I are going to close out today's episode. We're going to talk about a few more Zags in the NBA. We're also going to talk a little bit about the WNBA. We're of course going to talk about Courtney Vandersloot. But before we do that, I want to tell you all about Built Bar. From the people who invented healthy and tasty comes the latest gift to your taste buds. You've probably tried the amazing coconut brownie chunk built bar, but guess what? Your friends at Built have given the coconut brownie chunk the puffs treatment. That's right, the coconut brownie chunk built bar flavor you love in a deliciously chewy marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate. It's like a fluffy cloud of coconut brownie goodness. But stop drooling and listen. They are good for you. 
Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and all delicious. Coconut brownie chunk puffs are only here for a limited time. Go to Built.com now and make sure you don't miss out. All Built Bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. Eat something that tastes good and is good for you. Get to Built.com right now to order your box of coconut brownie chunk built puffs right now. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, segment three, facility patents still locked on Zag, still chatting with Mark Schindler. We're going to stay talking about the NBA for a little bit longer, but I do want to talk about the WNBA. Uh, before we get there, though, I want to talk about DeMontis Sabonis, uh, the all-star, the two-time all-star, the second greatest Zag in NBA history behind, of course, John Stockton. That's for now. We'll see how long Sabonis holds on to that mantle. Uh, but a guy who obviously got traded to Sacramento, a trade you referenced earlier when talking about Tyrese Halliburton. Um, a lot of people were kind of perplexed by this move uh, for Sacramento, not because I don't think at least not because of questions about Sabonis's overall talent, although his skill set maybe didn't mesh all that well. Um, now we have Sabonis, we have De'Aaron Fox. This is kind of the pairing uh, in Sacramento. I'm curious your thoughts on, on, on what that looks like and, and whether whether the Kings can kind of get the most out of what Sabonis brings. Yeah, so I actually, what's so frustrating about this group is that they did get the most out of it the first few games after yeah. the trade deadline. <laughs> like, it really looked good. They really leaned in. They're like, okay, we're going to play fast. We're going to use Domas as our point guard and and, mm -hmm. and run De'Aaron Fox off a million screens, yeah. do things off the ball because he's the fastest player in the NBA. And right. um, their defense was better, too. They were just trying harder. It, they, were, they were playing well. Um, and then they just went away from it and yeah. played more straight up. It looked ugly. I didn't like it at all. Um, I think that they really bought in to do a lot more uh, to lean into that more. Again, I, I can't mm -hmm. really be fully um, in on it until I see what Mike Brown's offense is going to look like this year. Right. But based on the moves that they've made, like um, adding Kevin Herter, like another player who can handle the ball, who's going to yep. be able to shoot. He's okay defensively. He's not awesome, but again, I think this team is very much it's it's offensive slanted for sure. Like we don't yes. have to, we don't have to front on that. But um, I do think like I'm just encouraged by a lot of the moves that they have made. Like again, adding in another pretty dynamic athlete who can shoot mm -hmm. off movement, who can create a little bit, like in in Malik Monk, um, mm -hmm. reuniting him and Fox is kind of awesome. Uh, I, I never thought I'd see it, at least not in Sacramento, I should say. Sure, um, but yeah. Uh, so I think Domas and, and Fox make a lot of sense if you're really tapping into mm -hmm. to being a motion-heavy offense and, and trying to get out in transition. Um, a lot's going to depend on the steps that that Fox takes. Uh, mm -hmm. or I guess I should say takes back as a defender because he was a really good defender once upon a time. Yeah, um, That obviously died out in the last couple of years. Sorry, yeah. I'm sneeze. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think – yeah, I, I'm, I'm, ex I'm cautiously optimistic about this team. Yeah. But I'll be irrationally optimistic if they win, you know, three of their first <laughs> six games. So um, I see. it's funny to me because I, the Jackson Frank, a Gonzaga alumni, fantastic. Yeah. One of my writer. best friends. Oh, great. he's he's yeah. awesome. He was on the pod a while ago um, and we talked about an article he'd recently written about Sabonis. This is when he was still in Indiana and it was talking yeah. about basically how Rick Carlisle was like possibly the worst coach for getting the most out of DeMontis Sabonis' skill set. Yep. It just was not working for him at all. They were trying to do what they had done in Dallas with Luka, but they were trying to do it with inferior uh, 
guards effectively. And it was like, it's, this is not going to work with Karis Levert. Like it's just not an option. Uh, and it, 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 they tried to turn Sabonis into a standstill, standstill shooter, which is what Billy Donovan did when he was a rookie, which was incredibly baffling to me because yeah. Sabonis took, I like, can't, how did, not, not, not to cut you off, but like, how yeah. do you watch that Sweet 16 run and think I'm going to yeah. turn him into a shooter? Like I know that that OKC team that year was like, yeah. Not, I mean, I I at least understand it from that segment. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, that was wild, man. <laughs> it was baffling. This dude like went to work against Jakob Pertl, who was like one of the best bigs in the country at Utah, and is like a quality NBA player. And they were like, no, we're going to turn him into a standstill yeah. corner three point shooter when he was like. I think he shot like 29%. And it's like, yeah, he's, he's bad at this. Like this yeah. isn't his, even now he's got, he's worked really hard to become slightly better as an outside shooter, but it's still not really his strength. And so he seems like a guy who has, has had some very interesting coaching throughout his career. And I really hope that uh, the situation in Sacramento lends itself to him being able to be the, the player that he can be. Like you mentioned, like how guys come off screens off of him, let him facilitate, let him run things because I mean, he was an all-star for a reason, and it's because he can do that. Like, he has a skill set that not a lot of people his size do, and it's frustrating to see teams either try to turn him into something he's not or just not utilize him nearly as much as he should. He's not, like, you know, he's not elite. He's not an all-NBA guy necessarily, but there's a reason that he was an all-star. And It's weird when teams are not seeming to want to use that. Yeah, no, I agree. I think what's tough, uh, and something I've had to, like, factor in more is, like, just in terms of scouting and, and how I approach things, I think that a lot of coaches are reticent to, to lean into things like that. Like even yeah. um, this is not Zags related necessarily, but like Bruce Brown for the Nets, as good as he was the mm -hmm. last two years, like Steve Nash really tried to go away from him this year, early on <laughs> in the year, like actively yeah. sought to yeah. um, so that they could have more answers and they didn't find them. They went back to Bruce Brown. It worked out really well, obviously until, you know, mm -hmm. it wasn't his fault in the playoffs, but right. um, same thing with Domas. Like I think that, uh, there is reticence to lean into that because it's atypical in terms of how you're you're making things work. It's obviously mm -hmm. not perfect. I think you have to be a lot more creative and yeah. in getting the most out of it. But in terms of like actual dynamic screeners who can really open up guys without even having to dribble the ball, like Domas is just about the best in the NBA yeah. other than Nikola Jokic. So mm -hmm. I do think um, I'm pretty high on what that can become. And I do think that there's another level for him to really unlock as yeah. a player. Um and it's less about the jump shot. It's more about his intermediate finishing for me. Um, okay, yeah. Like, uh, that's been one of the weirdest things. Uh, <laughs> like, he went from, like, he was money from, yeah. from like, 16 feet for about two or three years in a row. Yeah. And then he tried to expand to three last year. I think he shot 37% from, <laughs> yeah. from mid-range. So, like, yeah. after shooting, he shot, like, legit, like, 46 47%, I think, in, uh, yeah. in 18, 19. So, mm -hmm. it's just, you know, it's weird to see how some of that stuff works out. But. Um, I'm bullish on who he's going to be. I think like I understood some of the um, confusion over the Halley trade, but also like this is a team that hasn't been in the playoffs since I was in like second grade. So right. I get why they're going for it. If you can mm -hmm. get somebody like Domas, who is still young, who's on a yeah. team friendly deal for another three or four years that can still get better. Um, yeah. I get making that move. It's just going to depend on the moves around it. Absolutely. I want to pivot here at the end, Mark, before I let you go, talk about the WNBA. I know you've mm -hmm. done some writing uh, at WNBA.com, uh, which is extremely cool. It's been a very exciting Thank season uh, in the WNBA. Uh, and, and as somebody who now kind of covers both leagues uh, and college, just basketball in general, just basketball, uh, I, I would love to kind of hear your 
what it's been like getting a chance to, to really kind of dive into WNBA content and what has been a, a, a fun season. And I think a season where we're kind of starting to see a little bit more people actually engage with the sport and, and pay attention and kind of focus on the, the storylines as the year goes on. Yeah. Um, I think for me, like I, I kind of just became a casual fan of the W uh, mm-hmm. two years ago. Yeah. Um, and this year I got an opportunity to start covering it in full mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually going out to Chicago for all-star this weekend, which I'm really excited about, but nice. Um, yeah, I think like you mentioned, it's just, uh, some, sometimes I think people try and make it like it's a different sport. Um, yeah. and that's the wrong way to look at it. Like it's just basketball, it's just yeah. like any other league, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, the only real difference to me is verticality. Like uh-huh. players are a little bit smaller. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, the mm-hmm. verticality is different. Uh, it yeah. changes the court dimensions a little bit, but mm-hmm. Overall, man, like it's it's just a fun game. Yeah, it, I love basketball, so it works. Yeah. Like it's, it's basketball is basketball for me. Um, yeah. So one of the things that's really cool about the W, though, like we saw this giant um, kind of in vogue push in the NBA this last year towards more coverage versatility and mm-hmm. um, being a lot more willing to to try things on defense. The W's been like that for a while. Yeah. Like it's cool. Like even just so watching Seattle, like up near you, mm-hmm. they play a super aggressive. Um, trap everything, high hedge ball, ball defense, uh, ball yeah. swing defense. Um, and then you have teams like Chicago that do the same as well. Like Chicago will routinely play a three big lineup, kind of similar to what the Cavs did this year. And yeah. but it's almost, it's not, not even almost, it is more effective than that because mm-hmm. the players are all stars and, and others close to it. Um, there's just a lot of fun stuff that goes on, especially like you mentioned with the storylines. Yeah. The talent is kind of wild too, um, mm-hmm. especially with a league that's condensed down talent wise. Yeah, having only twelve teams, um, like there are plenty of players who would be all stars or close mm-hmm. to it if if they were you know in in higher roles and and, yeah. and given opportunities to thrive. So, um, yeah. just covering the league in general has been really really fun. I've, I've loved it this year. And there there are, there are things the W can and, and hopefully will do that will alleviate some of those issues. Like we're seeing like top 10 picks uh, in the recent draft getting cut because there's just yeah. so few roster spots and that probably needs to change, especially with college uh, women's basketball being very popular and people are like, I want to watch my favorite players. And then there are not very many of them are, are sticking around. And then hopefully those are things that will get ironed out in time. Um, last question I wanted to ask you, Mark, uh, before I let you go, uh, I talked to Howard Megdahl, the host of the Locked On Women's Basketball podcast a few weeks ago and posed the same question to him. Um, this, to me, would be one of the coolest things to ever happen uh, to Gonzaga. They already have the all-time assist leader in the NBA mm-hmm. in John Stockton, a record that very possibly won't get touched for a very long time. Um, a, and now they have a chance to have the all-time WNBA assist leader in Courtney Vandersloot. She's 32. Uh, she's you know, still a far ways behind Sue Bird, but at least we now know there's an end date uh, for how many assists Sue Bird's going to rack up. She's planning to retire at the end of the year. Um, I'm just throwing this at you last minute without you doing any prep, so I understand if you haven't looked at the numbers. Um, but, like, it seems possible that the Zags might have the all-time NBA and WNBA assist leader with the way Slute has played, um, I was going to say the last few years, but really throughout her career in Chicago. It's a good question, man. I uh, <laughs> so I did think about this earlier this year. Yeah. I wrote something on uh, how the league is changing and the guards who are kind of taking the mantle um, mm-hmm. as Sue and Diana retire. Um, yeah, and obviously Sloot's already there. Like she yeah. and and Skylar Diggins Smith are to me the two best guards in the league. I think. I mean, mm-hmm. you can obviously throw in like Kelsey Plum. There's it's sure. not like a concrete two. There's there's a lot of a, a lot of really darn good guards. In this yeah. league. But um, 
if I remember correctly, I think Sloot's like a thousand away still from, yeah, from even getting close. Like if I remember correctly, I think yeah. I could I, actually let me pull up my article right now because I remember writing this early on in the year. Like the, the difference in, in total assists is staggering. Like I think Sue's around like 7,000 career assists and the next closest person had like 6,000 for a career. Um, Sloot, yeah, Sloot is like third, but there's like a huge gap. There's a very, a very <laughs> healthy wild, gap there yeah. that uh, that sets things apart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just just a, a little, little, little bit of difference there. Yeah, I just I just looked at it. She's about 800 behind Sue, but she's less than 300 behind second place. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. So <laughs> it makes it like honestly, I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility no. for her. Like she hasn't really fallen off in any regard this year. Um, she's having actually, I wouldn't necessarily say a better year than last year, but she's having just a fantastic year all around. She'll be all W for me. Mm -hmm. Um, as long as things don't like drastically change, um, a lot's just going to depend on how long she wants to play. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just in terms of how many, like she averages more assists per game than I think over the last couple of years, especially as as that numbers really ratcheted up and she's been like around like the eight or nine area for a lot of the, the last half decade. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most assist per game Sue ever averaged in her career was like seven. Yeah, like once. Right. Um, so yeah, I do think that's possible, 10. especially Sloot because of ten in twenty twenty. That's crazy. Yeah, like yeah. Sloot, her. I mean, part of it too is like how much the offense runs through her. But she's much yeah. more, and it, especially in this stage of her career, she's much more of like a north south player, and yeah. um, the way that she navigates the court and opens things up with her playmaking, yeah, is is pretty stellar. Like it's funny because like. Um, I'm sure you've heard this before, but like people compare Salute and Sue all the time, and I never yeah. get it because their games yeah. just really aren't all that similar to me. Yeah. Like <laughs> Sue's so much more based out of, you know, pick and roll and yeah. um, her ability as a pull up shooter to really get the most out of her passing. But Salute mm-hmm. is just like, she carves up the floor. Like she yeah. uses every square inch of the floor to get yeah. what she wants. Um, yeah. She's so fun to watch, man. She's so fun. So fun. I'm looking at her numbers right now and like her, her development as a shooter, as an outside shooter in particular, has been jaw-dropping. I mean, we're talking, she shot 29% in 2019. Uh, Before that, she'd had a couple of good years, um, but was like 35, 36 in the last few years. I mean, she's 39% this year. She was just under 40 in 2020. Like, when she can start doing that, and she can still be as wiggly as she she is and can get to the rim and finish through contact and can knock down 40% of her threes, like, I don't know how people stop her. And yeah. they, they don't. I mean, <laughs> that's the short answer is that she's an all WNBA player for a reason. Exactly. No, that's a great way to put it. All right, Mark, I got to let you go. Uh, this has been fantastic. Uh, there's a ton of other Zags that we didn't get the chance to talk about. Uh, maybe we'll get another time to talk about Clark and Tilly and Zach Collins and Kelly Olenek and all and the Nigel other Williams-Goss comeback is coming. Yes, yes soon, maybe so. Nigel will make it back. Maybe Kevin Pankos will make it back, although I don't know if we want to talk too much about his NBA stint. It was not, not the most successful one there, but very cool for me as somebody who went to college with him to, to see him get a chance to make it was really cool. And maybe, maybe Williams-Goss will get that chance too. Uh, I'm going to give you a chance, Mark, before I let you go to uh, to talk about where your work is, where people can find you on Twitter if they're listening to this and they want to want to get a chance to read the stuff that you write. Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me on, man. Of course, uh, man. It's been fun to interact and get to know each other a little bit over the last mm-hmm. however many months we've been following each other. So yeah. it's good to finally get on here. Sure. Um, yeah, I uh, you can follow me on Twitter at MG underscore Schindler. Um, I have a Patreon where I'm, I'm mm-hmm. trying to be extremely active uh, where I'll mm-hmm. be having writing and, and podcasts going up as well. I'm going to plan on keeping uh, nothing paywalled. Um, yep. Just, you know, if you can't support me, awesome. If not, um, I totally understand. 
but if you do enjoy my work, please consider it because I'm still uh, looking for full-time employment in basketball. I do work in it full-time. So as you know, that's how yeah. it works in sports, but uh, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're on the way. So again, yeah. I appreciate you having me on, Andy. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. Thank you for coming on. Um, folks, one more podcast to close out the week uh, right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Of course, available wherever you get your podcasts, available on YouTube as well. Thank you all for listening. And go Zags.